This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by HostGator, where you'll get 24-7 live support via chat, phone, email, one-click WordPress installs, easy-to-use website builder design services and marketing services like SEO and PPC, and for my listeners, a 30% discount. Go to HostGator.com slash promo slash duct tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is John Warlow, the author of Built to Sell, is uh, the founder of the Value Builder System, and he's also the author of a new book we're going to talk about today called The Automatic Customer, Creating a Subscription Business in Any Industry. So welcome back, John. Thanks, John. Yeah, you were you were on with uh, another great book of yours, Built to Sell, a few years I back. I was. Yeah. You, you, uh, you were good enough to have me on twice. I appreciate that. You betcha. So let's uh, let's talk about this idea of a subscription business. Um, how would you define that first? You know, anytime a customer makes a commitment to buy something in the future where in order for you to stop, they need to kind of proactively stop. Uh, unlike the transaction economy where the customer needs to kind of buy every time, in a subscription, you're assumed to be a customer until you say, oh, wait a minute, I'm, you know, I want to stop. And that's a fundamental difference. Well, and what's interesting, though, is because I think, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I mean, there are a lot of online courses that you buy on a subscription. Certainly people have bought a magazine or a newspaper. I pay for the newspaper to get thrown into my recycling bin, um, <laughs> you know, every month and, and, and have for years. But I, I think that, well, you certainly talk about some models that go far beyond that. You bet. I mean, in the book, there are nine different models. And so software is where a lot of people, you know, start and stop with subscriptions. But really, uh, I think you can create a subscription business in virtually any industry. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. If you've got customers, you can create what I call the front of the line subscription model, which is basically where you say to a group of your customers for whom downtime is a big deal, you just say, look, we're going to give you this special tier of service and it's going to cost you a small amount every Every month, um, but that way you jump to the front of the queue whenever you've got an issue. So, kind of if you have customers, uh, you don't have to be a software company. There, are, there are nine different models to choose from, and there's examples in the book from you know, you know, industries of every nature of industry in uh, in a subscription business. Yeah, and, and you know, you even think of some very traditional brick and mortar business. You know, my heating and air conditioning company sells me an annual checkup subscription. For example, I mean, so they come out, make sure everything's running, and you know, part of it is it gets some access to my door. I imagine there's some recurring revenue that's nice for them, but I think the real thing is it gets some access to my door. And it makes sure that when your furnace goes in 25 years, you're the guy, they're the guys that you call. Because when you have that recurring relationship, it, it, it gives you access as you've just defined. And so that's really the secret sauce. And, and, a, and a lot of people say, well, why would, you know, it's only 10 bucks a month or $50 a month. I'm not, I'm not going to create this huge revenue stream. It may only be 5 or 10% of my revenue. Why would I bother? And, and you've just hit the nail on the head as to why you bother. Because once you've got the recurring relationship, I mean, there's a guy in Washington, D.C. who runs a company called Hassle-Free Homes. Half of his business is recurring 
recurring revenue from managing these homes for people on a, on, on a monthly basis. What's interesting is the other half of his revenue is just revenue that he gets from people because he's in their door. He's you know showing up to clean the pool filters. He's you know changing the chandelier bulbs, and therefore they're the ones that uh, he, that he call they call when uh, when there's a problem. Yeah, I've been meaning to get that fixed. Could you take a look at that? You know, I can hear that conversation probably happen every day. Um, is could you say that in some ways? This could be looked at as, as financing. I mean, let's say you have an $8,000, $10,000 product that's kind of hard to get you know, people to plunk that down at one time. So you spread that out over the course of a two-year commitment and break it up into monthly payments, so to speak. I mean, is that one way to look at it or am I, am I looking at it completely wrong? No, I think you're absolutely looking at it. I mean, with the subscription business, you want to look at the lifetime value of a customer. And you can look at that I'm in, a, in a transaction business. The lifetime value of the customer is the, is the, is the gross revenue of the transaction. So in the, in the old days, Microsoft would sell you a box of CDs. And if you wanted to get Office, you could go to Staples and buy it off the shelf for, I don't know, 300 bucks. And that was the lifetime value of the transaction. Whereas if you subscribe to Microsoft Office 365 for $100 a year, well, they're, they're going to monetize that over the life of your subscription. So if you stay with Office 365 for 10 years, it's 100 bucks a year times 10 years or $1,000. And so in a way, it's financing the lifetime of the, va- the value of the relationship over the, over the subscription period. Well, I think another thing that it does is it gets the, let's call it the starter uh, product in, installed. And so I'm guessing that Microsoft 365 is going to say, oh, since you've got 365, why don't you add this and this and this and this? Because it'll be so easy. Well, that's, a, that's, <laughs> that's the, the Trojan horse reason why a lot of people create these subscriptions. I mean, Amazon, as you probably know, uh, 40 million Amazon Prime subscribers paying $100 a year for Amazon. You might say, well, why, you know, why does Amazon care about that? Well, in and of itself, it's a $4 billion business. But what's really in- interesting is the change in p- behavior of subscribers. So the average Prime subscriber spends $1,500 a year with Amazon. The average non-Prime, less than $500. So there's three times more uh, revenue there because, in part, because they have that recurring relationship. I, you know, I'm, I'm guilty. I mean, anytime my wife mentions something that she's can't find or something she's going to get, I'm just like, well, wait a minute, I can get it right here. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'd hate to know they probably have statistics somewhere, but I'm probably I'm probably more than the eight or nine thousand dollars a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not alone. And you know, the, one of the other models of the nine that, that we talk about in the book are, is what's called the consumables model, where if you manufacture something or you supply something, what you're looking for is something that runs out. Yep. And so, you know, if, if you're a dog owner and you don't like schlepping the 100-pound bag of dog food back from the grocery store, guess what? Amazon will let you subscribe to dog food. Yeah. Um, if you have a swimming pool and you don't like going to repurchase those little chlorine pucks, yep. uh, guess what? There's a subscription for chlorine pucks. So anything that you sell, whether you're a hardware, manufacturer, distributor, you can put that on a consumable subscription model. Well, and, and the other thing it does is, is you know, now you've now they've assured in a way that you're going to come to them. I, I, I have a number of things, vitamins, toothbrush heads uh, that I get through Amazon that way. And I mean, I could, I could be walking down the aisle and, and, at CVS and go, oh, yeah, it's time to get some of those. I'll get them over there today. But I know Amazon's sending them to me. And so I don't even bother. 
And Amazon trumps on on you know speed, quality of service, distribution. They're always going to trump there. Yeah. Where where they're li- you know where we've got a liability and a weakness is on brand, right? So there's yeah. nothing romantic about buying from Amazon, which is why Dollar Shave Club yeah. has has kind of created a nice little niche for themselves because they've they've injected a sense of romance and a sense of excitement, interest in in a category which is you know plainly dull. Yeah, no question. Um, we've been talking about some of them that make sense. I mean, that most people would say, well, duh, yeah, they should be doing a, a subscription. Where where are some industries out there that are just begging for this because nobody's doing it? I mean, I'll give you an example. Haircutting. So I go to the same guy to get my haircut once every four or five weeks. You know, maybe one out of ten times they say, "Hey, would you like to you know pre-book your appointment for next mm, month? Wouldn't yeah. that be a novel concept? I'm here every month, but they never ask me. Uh, you know, is this something you you know you want to do on a regular basis? And, and it's and it's a it's a category that's apt for a subscription in the sense that you know if if convenience is easy, you know you can go to that that hair that hair salon once a month and you can buy a subscription for that. And, and you may be saying, well, if you're going to that hair salon every month. You know why would I, as the hair salon owner, create a subscription? Two reasons. One, sometimes I travel, and if I'm traveling, I might decide to get my hair cut at a hotel or whatever, and they lose that revenue. Two, there's lots of other hair you know, hairstylists on my walk to that place, and one day I just might try another. But if I've locked into a subscription, there's a guy in Seattle um, who's done this. He's done an executive. Uh, haircut for men at 600 bucks a year and you can go in and they'll trim your neckline after two weeks if it's getting messy and and it's just a, it's a it's a subscription but you know they're the only one i know of there's lots of other folks who could create it well and and i, I tell you you know we talked a little bit about um some of the models but you know that all you can eat one i love too because i, I think there are a lot of people out there that well, let's just use online marketers, you know, that have tons and tons of content, lots of ebooks, lots of courses. Uh, Linda is is a great oh, example. Just uh, acquired by LinkedIn for a billion dollars, and, billion and, and a half dollars. And their their whole deal is it's not that expensive. And by the way, look at everything you can get. Well, you know, there's no way in the world you could consume anywhere close to what <laughs> you might. But I think that is a really appealing thing to say, look, there's 600 courses and I only pay this much a month for it. You, you're absolutely right. It's a huge value proposition. I call it the 10x versus 10%. The idea, you know, when you subscribe to Netflix, um, you know, the value proposition is so massive that it's almost you know, inconceivable. And, and you may be saying, well, that wouldn't work for me because I don't have Netflix resources or, or amount of content. There's a company called New Masters Academy I wrote about where in California they've created a library of how-to tutorials to do how-to art classes. And, and, and they're, you know, they've chosen a very small niche and said, we're going to own kind of art education online and they do it on all you can eat model. To your point, they've got tons of eBooks, tons of video tutorials. They put it up there and that's a really compelling value proposition to someone who learned, who likes to do art. You know, one day they might want to do watercolor painting. The next day they might want to do pottery. You know, it's, it's compelling. Well, and, and another one of the models, probably one of my favorites, and I think it's one that you're seeing more and more uh, people doing, you call it the simplifier model, uh, but, but it's the idea that, that somebody, there's a service they, like, you know, maintenance on your house, you know, things like that, things that you, you know you once a quarter or once a year something needs to be done, but you just set it and forget it with one of these companies that simplifies your life. And I, I really think there's huge opportunity in the home services business for that. 
You bet. Any, anywhere where it's a hassle for the customer to have to recall you again and again to reconfirm that you want the, you know, that you want the service. Or, or, to, even, or to even think about it. Right, right. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like three years goes by. Wait, I was supposed to get my gutters cleaned every year. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, and what, what people feel squeamish or, or timid, you know, for saying, "Hey, would you like to subscribe?" But really, realistically, you're doing your customer a favor. They don't want to remember to 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 call you to clean the eavesdrops. But if they wait and they get clogged, then they get a leak, and they'd rather pay you whatever it is, a hundred bucks a, uh, a month, to, to make sure your house is kind of the exterior of your house is maintained, yeah. than the ten grand it's going to cost when the you know, the basement floods. Now you have a little experience uh, in the subscription model uh, in a previous business, don't you? I do, and it's one of the reasons I feel so passionately about about this. I, I migrated a you know a, a you know, sort of a sell do business model, a consulting business uh, where you're only ever as good as you know your last sort of project into a subscription business where where we sold on subscription uh, to very large Fortune 500 companies a set of you know market research reports, and that was uh, that was a big reason that the company became uh, you know a you know an acquisition candidate and was acquired in, in 2008. And that, by the way, I think is, is one of the underlying themes uh, around creating recurring revenue. Yes, it's going to make your, your revenue you know, more predictable. It's going to lower your blood pressure because you know when your customers are going to come from. But I think the most compelling reason to create recurring revenue um, is that it improves the value of your business. Yeah. And, and in some cases, it can you know, two, two or three X the value of your business. Yeah, you kind of trumped one of my questions because, again, I was going to lead to your other book. I mean, it, that, that might have been advice that you'd give to somebody as you were writing or consulting with Built to Sell. You bet. Uh, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, the automatic customer should have been written before built to sell <laughs> in the yeah. sense of, you know, recurring revenue is, is, the, is the raw material for building a valuable, you know, sellable company. Well, and, and there are examples of companies out there that have been acquired, as you said, for what seems like ridiculous amount of money, uh, but they have generated, they've been able to generate recurring revenue. And it's not only recurring, but they've done it in a way that it's not dependent upon John Warlow showing up and, and you know, killing the deal, you know, the next deal or, or John Jance or, you know, any one person. No, you, you, you're bad. It's, uh, you know, part of the, the pro, you know, part of creating a subscription and one of the, you know, side benefits is that it forces you to productize your service. Yeah. You can't just say, look, we do, you know, SEO consulting, hire us. Or we do graphic design, hire us. No, when you create a subscription, you productize. You have to create the four bullets that says this is what you get with your subscription. Yeah. And that productization process just makes you a, a much more scalable business. Uh, I just ran across, and I, I've, I'm sorry the name escapes me um, because I'd like to give them a plug. I think what they're doing is kind of neat. I think it's Design Pickle. There we go. Um, and they are doing an all-you-can-eat graphic design uh, um, model that is fairly new. And you're absolutely right. that You've got to have some different processes in place, don't you? You do. You do. So um, are, are, you started to hint or we started to get get close to this, but I'd like to ask uh, directly, are there some things that if, if I'm out there saying, yeah, you know, I want that recurring revenue. Uh, are there some things that you need to start thinking about planning, doing? Are there elements that need to be in place before you can even consider this type of model? 
Well, I, I think the, the first thing you have to do is, is sort of throw away the old ways of measuring the, the success of your business. You know, we all grew up using a profit and loss statement as our sort of report card. Right. And, and in a subscription business, if you think about it, you know, in, in the, go back to the Microsoft example. Instead of Microsoft getting 300 bucks when you walk into Staples and buy the software, they're now getting a smaller amount of money, only 100 bucks, but they're getting it over the lifetime of your subscription. Could be a thousand or two thousand, whatever. And so I think what you need to do is start using a different set of measuring sticks. You know, I talk about it in, in the book. This the, the most important ratio. I think what you you really want to focus in on is something called your LTV to CAC ratio, which is you know acronym soup for lifetime value of a customer uh, compared to the cost it it takes you to acquire that customer. And really, the, you know, most professional investors are looking for a three to one LTV to CAC ratio at a minimum. And again, this is an example of, uh, you know, of a statistic that you wouldn't see on a traditional profit and loss statement, but yeah. it can make all the difference to a, a subscription company. Yeah. Cause so, so somebody looking at a traditional profit and loss would say, well, here's what you made this month. And what you're suggesting is if you can demonstrate, well, no, my, my lifetime value or retention or whatever we call it is, is two and a half years, you know, then every one of those customers is worth $3,000 instead of, you know, $35. Exactly. And why these companies like Linda that just traded for a billion five, why LinkedIn is, is prepared to spend that is not because of their profit and loss statement. It, it is the lifetime value of a Linda subscriber compared to the cost it, it, it takes to acquire a Linda subscriber. That's why LinkedIn is, is investing so heavily in a space like that. Well, and I think what also you can do with this model is demonstrate customer loyalty. There's a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, we've had we've had customers for, you know, 30 years, well, they, they've bought from you six times in 30 years, and some of them didn't. You know, some of them went away. Whereas, and, and that's not to say people don't leave the subscription model, but you're able to say month in, month out, you know, here is, you know, here is our customer base, and they'll be back next month. You bet. And, and the statistic, by the way, that is the most important statistic, LTV to CAC is, you know, gives you the, the report card, how you're performing. But if there's one lever, it's going to be your churn rate, right? The, right. The, you know, the proportion of your customers that choose to stop subscribing. And that has, you know, all the impact in the world in terms of the sellability value of your subscription business. Yeah, because one of the things that this model does that few other businesses can consistently, you know, do or measure at least is um, what you just said. If you get a very, a very consistent model for your lifetime value, and you, you know, know what your retention is, you know, all of a sudden you've got the magic formula to say, I can go out and spend nine hundred and forty-seven dollars to get one customer, or whatever the formula is. I mean, you have a very specific math that you can do that can show you how you can spend more to to go get these customers. And I think that companies that have Companies that have really thrived in this model um, have probably spent far more to get a customer in some cases or form far more on finding those customers because they have the metrics that allow them to show what that's worth. You're absolutely right. I mean, there, in, the, in the book, there's an example of HubSpot and the way they improved their LTV to CAC ratio. When they first started uh, measuring it, it was around six grand. It, co invest, it cost them to, to win a customer. And you think, wow, six grand, that's a lot of money. Um, but on average, those customers were spending about 500 bucks a month. So you can imagine if they stayed mm -hmm. for a long time, they'd be valuable. What HubSpot found was they were churning at a quite high rate. They made some improvements and they actually got their churn rate down from 35 
5% a month to 2% a month, and they got their, their lifetime value of a subscriber from 10 grand up to $24,000. Yeah. Um, again, just focused in on that churn rate. But I, but I think what it did, though, is it allowed them to really be aggressive in their marketing um, in ways that maybe other companies that weren't able to see that you know, lifetime value are able to do, I think. That's right. And it's so counterintuitive, right? Because you look at that, the revenue you get from a subscriber and it's only $500 a month. And you think, yeah. oh, this, I'm going to go bankrupt spending yeah. $6,000 yeah. for $500. What you're missing is the lifetime value. Yeah. And so you're, you're absolutely right. It gives people a really clear sense. Uh, I mean, the, the rule of thumb on LTV to CAC is if you're north of three to one, invest heavily. Mm. If you're below three to one, if you're you know between two and three to one, that's a caution. You should really slow down, take your foot off the marketing and sales you know pedal, yeah, improve and, the product, and retool. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's probably what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. So, so John, where uh, would you send uh, folks to? I know that you have these models uh, that they can uh, download uh, in addition to finding the book. Automaticcustomer.com. Perfect. Well, John, uh, appreciate you joining us. Uh, I think this is uh, this is what's nice about this is there are a lot of books that people can pick up to improve their marketing or learn about you know social media or something like that. But you know this really offers, I think, the opportunity for uh, a lot of businesses an entire new revenue stream. And so I, I think it's an exciting topic. Thanks very much, John. Appreciate being here. Well, hopefully, we will see you out there uh, on the road soon. John. I hope. 